Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with how God has spoken as we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. God has spoken to man. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto our fathers by the prophets. Different ways, different times, God has spoken to man. It's always exciting to realize that God has spoken to us. But he has in this, these last days spoken unto us by his own dear Son. Now, God has spoken to each of us by Jesus Christ. The clearest revelation that any of us can receive of God is by Jesus Christ. He has spoken unto us by his own dear Son. And that is why I do not feel that God speaking to me by an angel would be so important or really meaningful in that he has already spoken to me by his own dear son. It is interesting that nowhere in the New Testament do I read after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that angels came to really communicate the revelation of God to man. That came to us through Jesus Christ. Now, the angel did come to Paul on the ship and instructed him concerning things that were going to take place the shipwreck, and so forth. But um, no revelation of doctrine. So Moses had this experience of speaking to God in a very direct way. And God answering him, a conversational way. And, and it, this has been unparalleled. No other man has had this experience of, of, of being on such a conversational basis with God. God speaks of it later on as sort of an exclusive thing. With no other man has there been that conversational basis in in such a complete, clear way as it was with Moses. So Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, Moses said, look, you said you're going to send an angel, but you've never even introduced me to him, someone I don't even know. Now, you tell me that you know me by my name. You tell me that I have found grace in your sight. Now you're trying to pass off an angel on me. When I have this kind of a relationship with you, I don't want an angel. Why settle for second best? Why settle for something less than God himself? You say you know me by my name. You say I found grace. All right, then don't send the angel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Quit trying to put them off on me. And God said, my presence shall go with thee, 
and I will give thee rest. So that which Moses was looking for, the presence of God, for he recognized the need of the presence of God. He knew what God could do. He wasn't sure what the angels could do. And knowing the power of the presence of God, he didn't want to accept any substitutes. And Moses said unto God, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not from here. In other words, if your presence doesn't go with me, Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave here. I don't want to leave without your presence. And that is perhaps about the wisest thing that Moses could ever do is just stick right where he was unless he had God's presence going with him. You're foolish to venture anywhere apart from the presence of God. You're foolish to venture out in your own, on your own. We need the presence of God wherever we go. If your presence doesn't go with me, then, Lord, don't send me from here. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that in you go with us? How are you going to prove that we found grace? Only by your presence with us, actually. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I do know you by name. And he said, I beseech thee. Moses has things going for him. God's agreed to a couple issues, so Moses is going to press it now. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But the Lord said, Thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. So Moses' desire, his prayer, show me thy glory. Oh, that that would be the prayer of our own hearts. Oh, God, show me thy glory. That we might really get a glimpse of the glory of God. We get so earthbound. We get so bound in the things of man, the things of man's creation, the work of our own hands. Oh, that we might see the glory of God. Lord, show me thy glory. Paul got a glimpse of the glory of God, the glory of God's dwelling place, as did John. Paul's glimpse revolutionized his life, changed him completely. It created a continual dissatisfaction with earthly things from then on. How could you be happy in this mess when God has such a glorious place prepared for us? Lord, just let me see your glory. I pray for each one of you that God will somehow allow you to see his glory that it will create that dissatisfaction with earthly things, 
that I can never settle down in the old routine again. I can never be happy again with just the old mundane material world around me, but there will be that longing to enter into that glory, into the presence of God. Oh, Lord, show me your glory. Demonstrate your glory before your people. Interesting prayer. I wonder why people don't pray it more. Why don't we just really seek to see the glory of God? Lord, show us thy glory. And so God promised it. first of all, he would let his goodness pass before him. And then God said, and I will proclaim the name. Now, this name, God is going to proclaim it to Moses. It is a name that was highly revered by the Jews. So highly revered, but that they would not even attempt to pronounce it. And so the name of God became non-pronounceable. When the scribes would come to the name of God in their text, before they would write the consonants, they would not put in the vowels. The only the consonants, Y-H-V-H. Now try and pronounce Y-H-V-H. It's impronounceable. You can't pronounce just the consonants. You need the vowels for pronunciation. We don't know what the vowels are. That is why we don't know if the name of God is Yahweh or Yehovah. We don't know what it is. We guess at what the vowels might be, but we don't know because the name of God was not pronounced by them. God said, I'm going to proclaim my name before thee. But the scribes, when they would come to these consonants, before they would write them in the text, they would go in and take a bath, put on fresh clothes, wash their pen completely, dip it in fresh ink, and then write the consonants. Now, can you imagine how many baths you'd have to take in some of these passages where the Lord's name is mentioned several times? And yet that is the kind of reverence in which they held the name of God. Feeling that it was such a holy name that it should never pass the lips of man. And thus it was never to be pronounced by man. And so in reading the text, when the readers would come to the name, Rather than attempting to pronounce the name, they would bow their head in reverence and they would just whisper the name. It was an unpronounceable name. And they'd just say the name. But they held that name in such high respect. Now, there's probably nothing that was held in higher respect than the name of God. And yet God declared, I will honor my word above my name. 
So the honor that God places upon his word. Now, when God places such honor upon his word, believe me, I don't want to tamper with it, and I can't understand men who tamper with the word of God. I would be absolutely frightened to tamper with the word of God when God holds his word in such high honor. I will honor my word above my name. I can't understand tampering with it. Now, I know a lot of you that are in love with the Living Bible, and, and I love the way he has translated many passages. And yet there's a passage in Zechariah that he has translated, in, I feel, in a blasphemous way. And that is in the, what is it, the 14th chapter, where they send to him, what are the meaning of the wounds in your hands? And he said, these are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. Chapter 13, verse 6. Living Bible translates that something like this. What are the meaning of those marks on your back? These are what I got in a brawl in my friend's house. Because he said the context is not speaking of Christ. But what does he mean? For read on the next verse. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. In the New Testament, that passage is quoted when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples fled from him. It said that the scripture might be fulfilled, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So the context does refer to the Messiah and for the author of the Living Bible to take such liberty to translate that thing that way, I wouldn't have the nerve to tamper with God's word because God honors his word above his name. And yet God says, I'm going to pronounce my name before you. They say that the only one who really knew how to pronounce the name of God was the high priest. And he would only pronounce it once a year on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, when all the trumpets were blaring and the people were shouting their praises to God because the word had come back that the goat had disappeared in the wilderness, during that moment of high celebration, with all of the shouts of the people rising, the priest amongst the shouts of the people would pronounce the name. But there was so much shouting, nobody could hear him. And so nobody knows how to pronounce the name. God declared, I'll proclaim my name. God gives great honor to his name, but even greater honor to his word. And then the Lord declares his graciousness and his mercy unto Moses. And so the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. 
And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by. Lord, show me thy glory. While my glory passes by that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts are actually sort of the afterglow, the hinder part, just that glow that is left from God having passed by. But my face shall not be seen. Moses' prayer, show me thy glory. And God promises to pass by his glory, pass Moses, that he might see just the afterglow of it. And so the Lord said unto Moses, cut out two tables of stone, hew them out like the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which you broke. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And so Moses hewed out the two tables of stone like the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by. Now the Jehovah Witnesses think the name is Jehovah, but... Um, other evidence seems to point to Yahweh. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, on the children's children of the third and of the fourth generation. Now, there are people who try to say that there is a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and judgment and all, but I love the God of the New Testament who is forgiving and gracious and kind and, and all, and, and they see actually two gods the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New. But in the Old Testament, you will find very much concerning the character of God as far as his graciousness, as far as his mercy. And here we find God declaring himself to Moses as merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth keeping the mercy for thousands and forgiving the iniquities and transgressions. And so surely tremendous declarations of God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's goodness, God's truth. People who seem to think that the God of the New Testament is all love and, and uh, forgiveness and, you know, the abrogating of the capital punishment and all of this had better read the book of Revelation. And they'll find out that he is also a God of judgment and a God of wrath that shall come and be visited.
The grace and truth were demonstrated in Jesus Christ, but to those who reject that grace and truth, as Hebrews tells us, there remains then a fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God that will devour his adversaries. For if they who despise Moses' law were put to death in the mouth of two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose ye he to be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and who hath counted the blood of his covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace for it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. That wasn't the prophet Isaiah thundering out. That was the writer of the book of Hebrews declaring the judgment of God that shall come upon those who have rejected his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, we have a God of grace and mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness revealed to us. In the New Testament, we have a God of judgment and wrath revealed to us. They are one and the same God. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 33-34 through 34 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and watch over you during the week. May your love and commitment to God grow day by day. That we might render unto God that which is pleasing and acceptable in His sight of our time, of our service, of our abilities, of our substance. God bless you. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today is pleased to present a flash drive of audio Bible studies by Kay Smith titled, A Collection of Cherished Messages. Just listen to what others are saying. Kay Smith changed my life. Her teachings encouraged me to want more of Jesus. And through her counsel and mentoring, I fell in love with him in a deeper way. When I first heard Kay, I was driving in my car. I was so moved that it brought me to tears because I needed to repent. 
that moment impacted my life to be a better mom and who I am today. Renew your strength, please. I beg, I beseech, I entreat, and if there's any other word, I do that too. Get in His Word. Make it more than your necessary food every day. Kay Smith has a special place in her heart to teach and encourage women to live for Jesus. To order this flash drive with over 90 audio messages by Kay Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.